0: Broadcasting from Central Florida. It's the History Ghost Bump podcast bonus cast Hello, you spectacular people. welcome to this third bonus cast of the History Ghost Bump podcast. I am your host Diane, and this is Denise. And today we're going to, usually when we have a bonus cast, it means we're doing something that's a little different than the regular show. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to be talking about ghosts and the Bible. We're going to be unedited, unscripted, anything could happen, folks. So hold on to your britches. Also, just a couple of pointers here. This may not be for everyone. If you're not a Christian, we might offend you with some of the things that we're going to say. If you're a Christian... We might offend you with some of the things we're going to say. What we're hoping is, for those of you who decide to tune in to today's show, we'll give you a few things to think about. We also want to stress there,
1: Denise, are
0: are you a theologian?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am a theologian from the seminary of my own mind. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: a scary seminary. I wouldn't want to be in that seminary in your mind. No, we're not theologians, so obviously we're not experts on this. And we obviously don't have all the answers. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast, you know we end the podcast with, that's for you to decide. So we leave a lot of stuff up to you to decide, because there's a lot of things out there we don't understand, and a lot of things that science doesn't explain. One thing we want to apologize right off the get-go here is, We both seem to have caught the creeping crud. We participated in the Disney Princess Half Marathon this weekend. It was a huge life goal for both of us. Most most miles we've ever done, that's 13.1 miles, and uh, I think it kicked us in the butt a little bit. So we've picked up a little bit of a bug. So we're both going to have those deep, sexy... Cold voices. Yeah.
1: (laughs) We're sounding sexy, all right. (laughs) But I do have to say, we picked up some pretty bling this weekend as well. Yes, we did. It's all about about the the bling.
0: bling. And it helps our health, too, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah, because I feel really healthy right now. (laughs) Yay.
0: (laughs) All right. So, um, how did I want to go ahead and start this? I think the first thing we want to do is, and this is what's going to make some of the Christians angry... Probably we should tell people kind of where we're coming from to begin with, you and I. Um, Denise and I both, if we're asked if we're Christians, we say yes. But generally speaking, we don't identify ourselves as Christians because unfortunately the term Christian has a lot of negative connotation with it. You have visions of Westboro Baptist, the religious right. Or Joel Osteen up there with his big flashy smile and millions and millions and millions of dollars as he keeps telling people to send millions and millions and millions more in. So Christian seems to have gotten a bit of a negative connotation. So we like to say that we're followers of Jesus Christ.
1: Yes, very much so, because a long time, you know, I knew the pastor I'd heard one time said Christian is to be Christ-like, and again, probably will offend, but A lot of the Christians that I meet or see posting on Facebook or other social media sometimes are as far from what I believe Christ wanted us to be. And again, not to be judgment, but there's supposed to be a lot of love in there, and I don't see that a lot of times. And as soon as you make that observation, it's like, well, Jesus wasn't just about love, he's about judgment too. And it's like, okay, there you go, justifying your hate, and that's so not me.
0: Yeah, and we also, that being said, we're not churchgoers. And there's a couple of reasons why. Obviously, anybody who's been listening to the show for any amount of time knows that uh, we're gay, so we're not real welcome at church. And thankfully, that's uh, one of the reasons why we identify more with Jesus Christ than we do with Christians, because um, if you identify with him and keep the focus on him, other people won't push you away from him, which is, I think, what the church tends to do with a lot of people. It's amazing, as you listen to people who are in the paranormal field, how many of them started off in Christian homes and have totally strayed from the path, and that's one of the reasons why. The other reason is there's not a whole lot of answers when you go into church. A lot of the church stuff you're going to hear, especially, I mean, these mega churches are popping up everywhere. We got that, what, that real life one that's down the road. They just bought a whole bunch more acreage out there, and they're building a theater, and they've got the another huge sanctuary, and... Well, when we first moved here, we saw their billboard, and it had a guy with dreadlocks and tattoos and a mixed-race couple and some other people who looked like, you know, just wearing their regular clothes, and everybody was welcome. It's all about real life. Well, when I emailed them and said, well, you guys are about real life, so are me and my uh, wife welcome at your church? And, of course, we weren't. <laughs> so I went, okay, real life according to your terms. Gotcha.
1: Real life, unless you happen to love somebody.
0: But anyway, these are huge churches that are popping up everywhere. You see them on TV. That's pretty much the only thing that's on TV is these big mega churches. And it's a real feel-good message. It's the, let's go to church on Sunday, and we're going to tell you how to live your best life ever. Or if you send us a bunch of money, then God's going to give you a bunch of money like he's the cash register in the sky.
1: And don't get us wrong. We do believe there are some true Christians in all of these places. So, you know, just because you do go to a mega church or you do, you know, the praise and worship or you're a Baptist or whatever, we believe that there's true followers in all of the places. But as a whole, we just kind of got very turned off by the whole organized part of it. We, we like people who, who identify with the relationship part of the, thing and mm-hmm. not the, not the show, showy, not the, let's come here and do love, 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 and then go home and beat their family and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, the hypocrites. And there's the, when we're talking about answers, what we're going to discuss today, ghosts, is considered fringe Christianity. And what's weird to us is Christianity is pretty darn supernatural. Wouldn't you agree that the Bible is one of the most supernatural books out there, Denise?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, what does it have in it? has the Holy Spirit, it has the Spirit, it talks about ghosts, it talks about raising people from the dead. You've got angels and demons (laughs) and
0: fallen angels and UFO-looking type things. You've got apocalypse, you've got miracles and floods that wipe out the... I mean, the stuff that's in this Bible, it's amazing the stuff that's in here. And you go into a church and they make it so boring. And then when you ask them the tough questions... They don't have any good answers for you. So, we want to present some of the stuff that, you know, again, this is just us off the top of our heads. But the Bible does talk about the topic of ghosts. Now, what I want to first do is one of the things that is going to happen, generally speaking, unless you're in a church that gets into thinking a, a, a little bit more along the lines of, uh, you know, occasionally you'll have a a church where they will talk about some of the more fringe type stuff where they'll get into talking about angels or paranormal type stuff or UFOs or Nephilim. A lot of you probably have heard of Nephilim before. A lot of churches don't want to touch on that topic, but you know, a lot of fringe type churches will do that kind of thing. So, uh, but generally speaking in most churches, if you go up to them and you ask, you go up to the pastor and you say, Pastor, I have a, a quick question for you. I want to know what you think about ghosts. Generally speaking, you're going to get two answers. And what do you think those two answers are going to be, Denise?
1: Well, definitely one is that all ghosts are demonic. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so one of them is going to be that all ghosts are demons. And the other one is, well, we really don't want to talk about that kind of no, thing.
1: They don't really exist. There's no such thing as ghosts. Okay. And so, and that, that was one of the things that um, we started looking at is because too many people have had experiences and not all of them have been negative experiences. And so, I don't know, I tend to go along the lines and maybe, you know, people will shoot me down for this, but I go along the lines of um, what, what just makes common sense a lot of times and the fact that so many people have had experiences all of them are not negative and um and there's been things that have really helped other people so it's like well what are these things and so you know if you've listened to our show that we're still kind of you know skeptics when it comes to what are ghosts we definitely believe there's something there but we don't know what it is and we think that anybody who definitively says this is exactly what it is it's like well no no um, there's not enough proof of any one one theory out there.
0: No, for us, it could fall along many lines. We know there's several dimensions. Looking at our computer screen, we've got two dimensions here. Looking around our desk at these things, this is three-dimensional. And then anything that's tactile or your senses, your smell, uh, sight, hearing, that's four-dimensional. And then we know there has to be other dimensions because there's these spiritual beings that we can't usually see. Occasionally we can see them, but most of the time we can't, which is probably a good thing because I don't think I'd want to walk around seeing angels and demons all the time.
1: No. And anybody who wants a great visual of that and, I don't know if he wants to be mentioned on our show, but I'm going to mention him. There's an author called Frank Peretti, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called This Present Darkness. And that is an amazing book about looking between the two dimensions. And so I, it just really struck me when I read that book because he talks about the spiritual stuff that's going on at the same time the physical stuff is going on. And it's really neat to get these visions where there's like angels fighting demons trying to protect people and doing different things. So it's a great book if you ever want. It's a fiction. It's not, it's not nonfiction. No. Yeah, it is fiction. fiction. Yeah, it's fiction, not nonfiction, but it is a great, great book. Just kind of to, talking about what Diane was just mentioning with those other dimensions.
0: Yeah, so we're looking at interdimensional beings. There's also this thing I've mentioned on the show. I believe time travel is possible. So we don't know. Are we seeing glimpses of things that are happening in a different dimension? Glimpses of things that are happening in a different time? I believe there's uh, not only demons and angels... But like you said, a lot of these experiences that people have, there's a lot of them that are negative. But then there's other ones that are positive. And I am not going to sit here and believe that if someone I love has passed away and pops back into my life just to either say hi and encourage me or to say goodbye before they leave this plane, that that's some demon who is trying to deceive me. Because here's the thing. Are they successful? I've had several paranormal experiences in my life that I can't explain. Did it make me turn my back on God? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it almost helps because you're like, oh, there really is some supernatural stuff out there, so that Bible's not a bunch of fairy tales.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I remember pretty distinctly when my cousin passed away. Um, my, aunt, my aunt, her mother, had passed first, and then my cousin passed within months of each other. They both had lung cancer. My mom had gone back for both of them because it was her sister and her niece. And I remember my m- mother telling me that... Um, that at when her niece was getting ready to pass to, to, to leave this earth, that she'd said, it's okay, Mama's here now for me. And the doctor had told my mom, don't think that's a hallucination, that happens all the time. And so when I thought more about that, you know, it makes me wonder, I don't know if maybe it was an angel that had, had shown up to be like... Um, in the form of of her mother so that she didn't, didn't have any fear that there was somebody comforting to take her to the other side? Or was her mother actually allowed to come back and cross over that veil to take her to the other side just with that comfort level. Because I can imagine, no matter what your belief is, when you're right there on the threshold of death, that must be pretty frightening. I know to Mm -hmm. me the unknown, even if you think you know it, you don't 100% know it. And so that would be very frightening to know that what you know on this earth is leaving and you're passing to the other side. And so I don't think a demon came to give her that comfort. I just don't think that's demonic at all.
0: Well, and to give people an example of what you're generally going to get when you go into a church... Over at GotQuestions.org, this is an apologetics website, so a lot of people will go here for answers on stuff. And so the question that they have here is, what does the Bible say about ghosts slash hauntings? Their answer, is there such a thing as ghosts? The answer to this question depends on what precisely is meant by the term ghosts. If the term means spirit beings, the answer is a qualified yes. If the term means spirits of people who've died, the answer is No. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that there are spirit beings, both good and evil, but the Bible negates the idea that the spirits of deceased human beings can remain on earth and haunt the living. Now, here's the problem that you get into, because we live in a gray world, and this answer is a, quote-unquote, black and white answer, and it's definitive. The problem is, it's not biblical. And that's why we sometimes have a real problem with Christians or the church when they start bringing out the Bible, they don't actually open it up and read it and then interpret it the way that you're supposed to. A lot of people will say, well, I think the Bible says that, but they don't really know.
1: Or they've so, heard it somewhere. Sure. Somebody said the Bible said that, so they just believe it without doing any research themselves.
0: Absolutely, because here's the problem. It says the Bible negates the idea that the spirits of deceased human beings can remain on earth and haunt the living. And yet, here we go to First Samuel 28. And here is the story of King Saul and the prophet Samuel. For people who don't know about this story, the prophet Samuel has passed away. He was an advisor to King Saul. King Saul would not make a decision without Samuel because Samuel had his ear to God's voice. And he could, I mean, God spoke to him on a regular basis. There's another supernatural thing right there. So there's some problems that are happening now. And King Saul had decided that he was going to get rid of all the mediums and psychics and uh, necromancers and that kind of thing, and either run them out of town or put them to death. So he'd gotten rid of all of these people. Well, all of a sudden, he decides he needs to talk to Samuel. And he knows the only way he's going to be able to talk to Samuel is if he goes to somebody who can talk to the dead. Right here in this story, it's going to tell you that there is such a thing as being able to talk to the dead. If God tells you not to do something, then it's probably possible for you to do it. And this story is going to show us that, yes, there are people who are mediums, and and I believe that there are people who do have this power. I don't believe all of them that say that they can do that do. So Saul has a problem here. He's got to talk to Samuel, so he's got to find himself a medium, and he's able to do that. He finds out that there is one in Endor, which sounds like we're going to Star Wars or something. (laughs) This is beginning in, uh, verse 8 of chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. So she doesn't recognize him. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Don't you love that? He's swearing to God in order to make a medium feel better. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So I'm assuming The Bible doesn't say, but Samuel probably got this look on his face like Saul or said Saul or something so that she realized who that was in disguise. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul. In great distress, Saul said, the Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams, so I've called on you to tell me what to do. And then Samuel's going to go on and he's very angry, obviously for good reason. And he's going to tell Saul, well, there's going to be a battle and you're going to die along with all your sons. And it does come to pass. So right here is, is that a demon impersonating Samuel? Samuel? Absolutely not, because it prophesies something and it comes true. Right. If it's and a demon, demons, they're not they going know to the know future. the future. No. Nope. Number one. And they're also not going to have prophecies coming true. It's just it's just not going to happen. So this is actually Samuel coming back. So how can you tell me that this that ghosts can't be spirits of deceased human beings? It right there in the Bible we've got that example right there. I also want to point you guys towards a great book. It's called The Supernatural Worldview, Examining Paranormal, Psy, and the Apocalyptic, and it's by Chris Putnam. He is a uh, Christian apologist, and he takes this passage, and he makes some really great points about it. First of all, whenever it comes to looking at anything in the Bible, you have to go back to the original languages, because the translations that we have, men are translating this, in a language that may not necessarily have the same words to go with the ancient words that the Bible was originally written in. So when somebody asks me if I believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, I'll say in the, in the uh, original languages, I don't believe that the Bible I have right here is infallible and the inerrant word of God. I think some other things have gotten thrown in there. And I mean, just the fact that we have chapters and verses and all this stuff, this is not the way that the Bible was originally written. <clears throat> but anyway, what uh, Chris Putnam says here, it's on uh, page 297 of his book. In First Samuel 28, the Hebrew translated medium uses two words. It's balat ob. It strictly renders owner of a spirit of the dead. The issue explored above was what exactly is an ob, which is OB? Is it a non-human spirit associated with the realm of the death? Or is it the spirit of a dead human? Scholars are divided, but the latter is favored, which means scholars favor that it's the spirit of a dead human that's attaching to a medium. It seems to serve a dual purpose for underworld spirits as well as for deceased humans. Jewish scholar Jacob Bazik's survey of the rabbinical and Talmudic literature supports translating it as ghost. If the consensus understanding of OB, spirit of the dead, is correct, then the Hebrew text implies that humans can have a spirit of the dead associated with them. I realize that for many Christians, this is controversial, but the original language text strongly implies it. It also implies that a great deal of evangelical writings about the afterlife and demonology are drastically oversimplified, if not wholly incorrect. And that's the problem right there, Denise. How in the world do you oversimplify a topic like ghosts? There's no pat answer, and you can't just make it as simple
1: answer so Th- they tell you not to believe in them and that they don't exist because then it's simple
0: exactly and then chris uh, putnam goes on to say there's several points that we need to notice when it comes to this particular story here he says first scripture presents this as a real history and relates samuel's ghost in objective terms the appearance of samuel in his disembodied state gives biblical support to the fact that disembodied spirits even of believers can appear to believers Accordingly, a consistent biblical worldview must have room to accommodate the possibility of human apparitions, even though they are uncommon and counterfeit prone. Second, ghosts retain the physical characteristics and clothing they are associated with, because did you notice Samuel comes up and he's wearing his robe and the same clothing that he had on before, which is how the woman probably knew who he was to begin with, because she probably knew who Samuel was. So when she saw him, it was like, whoa. Because when he said, bring up Samuel, she may not necessarily have known, well, what Samuel is he talking about? Third, Samuel lived in the underworld of the dead, but he knew it was happening on earth among the living. So they must have some way of being able to see, right? When Saul stated his reason for summoning the prophet, Samuel's reply revealed a thorough grasp of the situation. Fourth, Samuel knew Saul was facing a Philistine invasion and stated that Saul and his sons would die the next day. This prophecy did come to pass. Fifth, the account takes medium seriously, as I pointed in. They're, they are able to talk to the dead. Sixth, the medium describes Samuel's apparition as a god. This reflects the Lexem's commitment to literal translation. Samuel's ghost is called an Elohim, the very same term used of Yahweh throughout the Old Testament. And Yahweh is God's name. How can a human ghost be an Elohim? And uh, seventh, the demonic imposter hypothesis is revealed to be Exegesis, imposing one's presuppositions on the text of the worst sort. When interpreting scripture, one should first seek the original author's intention for his original readers. Samuel's portrayed in the text as a real human spirit. He's even upset that he has been brought up. There's not a hint that he is an imposter. His communication is consistent with God's pronouncements against Saul, and the prophecy concerning his imminent demise comes to pass." Better yet, ancient Jewish literature reveals how the Hebrew readers interpret it, and they go on to say that that's the way that it was interpreted. So right there you have that. But a lot of people could say, well, that was before Jesus died and rose again, because there, the way things were set up back in this time, Sheol was the grave. And we know from the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus was a righteous man and the rich man was not. He was a wicked man. They're both in the same place, but there's this division between them, and they can't cross over either way. And we know wherever Lazarus is, it's okay. And it's usually they call it Abraham's bosom. It's okay there for him. It's just kind of a holding tank or whatever. Well, the wicked rich man is in some kind of a hellish existence because he's like dying of thirst, and he begs Lazarus just to dip his finger in the water just to give him a drop of water. He also wants to go back and tell his family, you don't want to come here. When Jesus died and rose again, he went down into the grave, and some people believe that that's when he took the people who were in Abraham's bosom with him. Now, the other people, are we just supposed to assume that they're in hell? Here's the other problem that we have when we look at the Bible, is that people tell you, okay, well, you die and you either go to heaven or hell. Except for there's this thing, that the Bible talks about in Revelations called the uh, white throne judgment. So if you've already gone to hell, why would you need to go before a white throne judgment? Because you've already been judged and you're where you're going to be, right? So that doesn't make any sense to me either. Now I know seventh day Adventists believe, and some people will say this is not true that, well, it's like soul sleeping. You just go to sleep. well, You can't be a ghost either if you're soul-sleeping. Now, I'll tell you what some of my understanding on this is. Because the Bible does say in Hebrews 9.27 that you die and then comes the judgment for whatever for you. Or there's... I can't remember what the other um, verses, numbers and everything is. But there's the one present um, absent Absent from the the body, body, present with with the Lord. So... Looking at that, I can believe that Christians who uh, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they may immediately go and be with the Father if that's in heaven or where have you. There's this thing about the people who aren't saved. So what happens to them? Because if they haven't faced their judgment, how can they go to hell permanently? So I've often wondered, especially because a lot of experiences that people do have of these spirits that seem to stick around, are negative if these aren't people who are waiting here for their judgment because it hasn't happened yet. Because to me, if you're stuck on this planet and people can't really see you and maybe you're stuck in a place and you're forced to relive whatever over and over again, that seems like hell to me.
1: Or at least purgatory.
0: Yeah. So I've often wondered if that's not what's going on is these people are just kind of here on a holding pattern waiting until the end of time. So that's with the Old Testament. Well, when you go into the New Testament, it gets really interesting when it comes to ghosts because there's a couple of passages there. Do you want to read one of them?
1: Absolutely.
0: All right, I'm going to have Denise read. uh, This is going to be Matthew 14, and it's verses 25 to 27. Let me just get that up here really quick.
1: During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid.
0: So there's a couple of things that we notice here, Denise. What's one of them that just screams out
1: to you about that? Well, that Jesus, I mean, if somebody looked at me, okay, just with Taekwondo, right? If somebody, before I became a master instructor, if they said, oh, master, and they were, I always corrected that. He said, oh, thank you, but I'm not a master. So if somebody would have said, oh, you're a ghost, I would have said, you know, um, those don't exist or whatever, you know. So you always tend to correct something, especially of your followers, that's not correct. And so if, if they had said he was a ghost and ghosts didn't exist, there was no such thing, he would, he would have said something more along the lines that said, don't be afraid, it's I. And why are you saying ghost anyway? Those things don't exist. Or, you know, he would have given them a lesson because that's what Jesus did. Absolutely. And I've
0: heard people say, well, the reason why he didn't correct the fact that they used the term ghost is because he knew about their predisposition to some of the customs of that time and the belief in that and the folklore and blah, 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 which is
1: just BS. That's total BS because those are his followers. Those those are his, his chosen ones. And so as a teacher, because I've always been kind of a natural teacher my my whole life. When you have those people close to you, anything that's infallible or that's wrong about the lessons you've been teaching them, you correct that.
0: Well, and here's the thing. Going with your Taekwondo analogy, mm-hmm. as an instructor, if I was to come to you and say, Denise, I want to go out and uh, you know do some teaching. Uh, but, you know, I've learned some of this jiu-jitsu, and I want to use some of that stuff, too. Now, so that people understand that the form of taekwondo that we do is... Um, traditional. Very traditional. It's not the Olympic taekwondo that you see. And so you're not supposed to incorporate other martial arts into it. We're not mixed martial artists. No. <laughs> We're, you know, we we don't believe you can master an, a bunch of arts all at once. You should master
1: one. Yeah, be a master so, of one instead of... Exactly. You know.
0: So if I was to say that to Denise, she'd be like... She wouldn't say, well... It's okay because you have jujitsu in you from before. You can go out and teach that also. I mean, the disciples aren't just people that Jesus is teaching. He's going to have them go out and be teachers when he's gone. So he wants to make sure that everything that they're learning and that they're carrying forward is right. So it's ludicrous, and this is why I have problems with people who just give pat answers that make no common sense, That would make no sense to me as an instructor or a teacher to say, well, you can hold on to some of your old traditional stuff. Just make sure you teach some of the new stuff I'm teaching you too. Absolutely not. If the ghost idea was just something that was superstition at the time, Jesus would have clearly told them, why would you even suggest that I'm a ghost? You know there is no such thing. He doesn't say that, and I don't believe it's omitted from this because we don't need to know that because, dang it, we sure do.
1: <laughs> yeah, and any other time that the disciples are messing up, he sure enough corrects them all the time. Absolutely. I mean, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he's just like, whoa, Peter. I mean, Peter, if you want to see Jesus corrects, in fact, isn't it Peter that calls out to him, our beloved Peter? who calls out, he was always correcting Peter so he wouldn't have let that one slide just because Peter had a misunderstanding.
0: No, I mean, these are men who are going to go to their deaths for him. So they're going to be very strong in what they say. So to me, it's ludicrous. But it also shows that people at that time believed in ghosts. If they would even put that out there, there had to have been a belief in ghosts. And why would there be a belief in ghosts? Because people are seeing them. Um, that's generally how that works. Okay, the next passage that is going to kind of parallel along this one is Luke 24. And starting in verse 36, which I believe is on the next page here. Let's see. It's uh, 36 to 39. And this is after Jesus
1: has uh, risen from the dead. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So the thing, again, very clear here.
0: He doesn't say there is no such thing as ghosts, you idiots. What he points out is, not only does he say, basically... There is such a thing as ghosts because ghosts don't have flesh and blood. I mean, right there he's saying there is such a thing as ghosts. And here's what they don't have. They don't have flesh and blood, but touch me. I am flesh and blood right now. I am not a ghost. I have risen bodily, which is very important if you're a Christian for that to have happened. How, that's clear as day. You have... Got org telling us there's nothing in the Bible that would ever show that there's any possibility for a human spirit. And Jesus Christ himself seems to be, I can't see it any other way.
1: Well, no, because he's very clear. Indicating that there is such a thing. In that particular passage, he's very clear in trying to differentiate who he is from a ghost, too. You know, so because, and so that's like you said. And so if there was nothing to compare himself to or differentiate himself from, he wouldn't even have to bring it up. You know, again, he would just say, guys, there's no such thing as a ghost, it is I. But obviously, um, ghosts kind of caused some of the same feelings back then that they do now because I know that I I myself have not had any experiences, but from talking to people, everybody kind of gets the hair on the back of their neck to stand Mm -hmm. up, so it looks like back in biblical times the same reactions were happening. So he always made it like, wait, wait, calm down, don't be afraid, it Mm -hmm. is I. On the water he said that, here he said that, it's like, I'm not a ghost. It's me. You know, do not be afraid. So,
0: and if it was entirely about deception, here's the problem. People have personal experiences. The one clear one that I like to share with people is the one that I shared with my sister. I've shared it here on the show where we heard the dog walking across the dining area on the linoleum and you heard the click, click, click. And we'd never had a dog. We were in a brand new house that had been built for us. So it wasn't like it was a previous owner's dog that had passed away or anything how is that deception? I didn't sit there and think, Oh my gosh, I can't explain that noise. It sounded like a dog. I'm going to lose my faith. To me, it was just gave me a sense of awe. It was not a negative experience. It was just like, what the hell was that? It didn't turn me away. But the problem is when you don't give people answers, they will go find the answers where they can find them. And unfortunately, when it comes to this kind of stuff, And when the church doesn't give people the proper answers or simply tell them, I don't know, it's okay to say that too. I don't negate it, but I don't know either. But to treat people like they're idiots or stupid or this black and white, then people are going to say, well, you know, that new age group over there, or hey, Wicca, pagans, they all believe in a spirit world. So I'm going to go find out what their answers are to this. And that's what drives people away is when you don't have an answer for them. It's not that the actual experience has done that. And I do hear stories of people who have some kind of a experience and it does cause them to turn another way. But I, it's not because I hear them say, well, it made me not believe that there was such a thing as God or Jesus. Because if you have a spiritual experience, that pretty much is going to tell you there's stuff out there that we don't know, that we don't see. So there there probably is a creator or a higher power, or whatever you want to call that. I think those were pretty much the, the verses that we wanted to get into. Again, uh, Chris Putnam's book is really great. I had a page here that I wanted to also point out. It's page 335 in this book. Denise, what were you raised as when you were, were a kid?
1: You mean just in general or specific well, denomination? denomination? Yeah. I was raised Presbyterian. Okay.
0: I was raised as a Lutheran and Missouri Synod Lutheran to be specific which i always say it's one step down from catholicism it's very um formal you don't clap your hands in church and
1: you definitely if you're the pastor do not tell the congregation he has risen stand up and they all looked at him like he'd grown a second head i was laughing as he <laughs> tried to turn the lutheran congregation into southern baptist <laughs> yeah
0: so when you have and the reason why i'm i'm saying that is when you have a lutheran pastor uh, He's going to be a little bit, a lot conservative. So probably when it gets into paranormal and stuff, he's not really going to be thinking much of that. Well, Christopher Putnam talks about a man here who was a pastor in a Lutheran synod. His name was Johann Christoph Blumhardt. And this is back in the 19th century. His was one of conventional preaching and ministry until in 1842, one of his parishioners, a young woman named Gottlibin, I think that's how you say her first name, Dittus, was afflicted by a severe nervous disorder and whose household was visited with strange psychic phenomenon. He records a fantastic account of spiritual warfare. If there ever was a desperate case of demonization, it was that of Dittus, whose youthful involvement with folk magic caused a frightful attachment by various kinds of evil spirits. This 28-year-old woman from a good Christian home was incapacitated by kidney disease and was recuperating in an apartment with her brother and sisters and relatives. Shortly thereafter, in February of 1840, sinister poltergeist-like phenomenon were seen and heard by many witnesses. So it must actually happen. Pastor Blumhart noted that Didis' brother and sister reported that from the first day poltergeist phenomenon ensued, Unexplained noises were heard about the house and Dittus was even struck unconscious while trying to pray. As a result, her personality quickly transformed from the worst and she behaved dangerously. Then it goes on to say the girl's torment escalated and the paranormal activity was so well attested that it began to attract tourists to the home. The pastor figured out the identity of the alleged ghost as one of his parishioners who had recently passed away. So people are probably thinking, why is she reading this story? It sounds like a demon, right? This is why I'm telling you this story. Blumheart recalled that prior to her passing, the woman had been plagued with a guilty conscience and confessed some serious sins to him on her deathbed. Blumhardt confronted the ghost directly. Don't you rest in the grave? No. Why not? This is the reward for my deeds. Didn't you confess all of your sins to me? No. I murdered two children and buried them in the field. Don't you know of any help now? Can't you pray? I cannot pray. Don't you know Jesus who forgives sins? I can't stand to hear that name. Are you alone? No. Who is with you? The voice answered with hesitation, then with a rush, the worst of all. So right here, you have this conventional preacher in the Lutheran Synod Church who has this stuff that's happening to one of his parishioners, this poltergeist activity and such, And when he confronts whatever it is, it's not a demon and it doesn't say, well, my demonic name is. It's a parishioner that he knew that has attached herself to this girl. That is a human spirit. How do you explain that? I mean, would this guy make that up? Obviously not, especially back then. I can't imagine. Right. Especially as a pastor of a Lutheran church. So it does happen. And unfortunately, this is why I wish the church would deal more with this stuff. It's good to tell people how to live your best life ever. And, you know, people sometimes need that kind of encouragement and such. But these are the kind of answers we need, too. Especially in a world that the paranormal has become so popular. I mean, there's tons of shows on UFOs. You know, you go to a pastor and ask him about UFOs, and he's not going to have answers for that. But you and I know, we, uh, Denise and I used to host a show called Twilight Hour a couple of years ago. And we had L.A. Marzulli on there. And some listeners, if you guys listen to Coast to Coast, you've probably heard L.A. Marzulli on there. He's on there quite a bit. And he gives great answers to what UFOs could possibly be. He doesn't sit there and say, UFOs aren't real. Mm-hmm. There are no such things as aliens. When you hear all these abduction experiences, something is happening.
1: What is it? Well unfortunately that seems to be one of the fallacies or faults definitely of of the churches and organized religion is when people are going through struggles or having experiences that they can't explain or things that they don't know, it's always those pat answers and if you can't get rid of it then somehow you're not being spiritual enough. And so it really causes people to go into these Tail spins because they're not getting the answers and then since the things are staying attached whether it be paranormal or whether it be different different just life struggles whether it be depression addiction eating disorders all that and they damage the people so much psychologically that they leave sometimes very wounded um from from that and so It would be very nice if churches learned how to answer the questions and also to love the people instead of, they say they're loving it, but it's always this weird love. The other
0: thing that a lot of people run into is fear. And the last thing you want to have is when you go to your pastor and say, My house has something in it and it needs a cleansing, is to have him look at you fearfully and not do anything about it. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't need a pastor. And I know the Catholic Church says that uh, per- priests have to be exorcists in order to do this. Anyone can do this to cleanse a home or to protect yourself from evil spirits or what have you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how you drive things out. As a matter of fact, we were even interviewing a woman on that Twilight Hour who hosted a UFO show. And she's just, you know, regular person on Street, not I wasn't talking to a Christian or anything, and I I said, you know, I just want to ask you a quick question. You hear all these people telling you these abduction stories. Have any of them ever told you that they've tried to use the name of Jesus Christ to stop an abduction from happening? And she said, Will you know? Yes, actually, I've heard several of those stories. And so I'm like, Wow, look at that right there. This is just you know some person who's not you know doesn't have a bias or a beef or whatever. You don't need to have sage, you don't need to have uh, Baggins <laughs> come to your house and cleanse your place or whatever. You could do it yourself and that's how you protect yourself in Jesus Christ's name. So if you ask a pastor for help and he gives you a, you know, looks at you cross-eyed and starts shaking in his knees, you don't need that person anyway. Is there anything else you wanted to add?
1: No, I think it's it's always fun to explore some of the unanswered questions of the Bible. So I always enjoy that. So thank you.
0: Well, you know, for me, that's, I mean, that's the stuff that excites me. We've heard a lot of the stories over and over and over again, and it just gets boring after a while. But, you know, when it comes to Noah's flood, it just sounds like a regular story. I mean, it's an incredible flood and... Wow, that sure is a mean God just took out all those people. Wow. And you just move along. You know, it's a cute little ark with little animals sticking out of it. But when you really dig in there and you read Genesis 6 and you find out that the fallen angels had sex with human women and had these babies that became these Nephilim giants and that they were all over the land and that maybe that's why God
1: decided he had to destroy everything
0: sure changes your perspective on the Bible and how exciting that story becomes all of a sudden, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and that was um, just when, when I know when you started looking at all the fringe kind of Christianity, it actually helped me make more sense of the God, especially the God of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Because when you're looking at maybe a DNA... Um, well, he like, seems like, like such a,
0: a horrible, angry, I'm going to destroy you kind of God. That's why it looks like, oh, the Old Testament God is one way and the New Testament God's the other way. Well, if you're trying to keep the gene pool pure and it keeps getting mucked up because these fallen angels are screwing around with the DNA and everything, that's why you're having to wipe out whole people, animals and children included. It's not because he's some genocidal, horrible God up there. He's trying to keep the human population pure and not have that corruption in there. Which, the way that I look at these extra spirit beings, you have angels and then you have the ones that turned away and went with Satan that are fallen angels. So a lot of people are like, well, fallen angels are demons. I don't think so. I don't believe that fallen angels become demons. They're still angels. They're just fallen. So where do demons come from? Well, that's where I think the Nephilim come in there as well because here all of them are destroyed in the flood. Well, what are these creatures? They're half angel and half human. Do they have a soul? Do they have a spirit? Is it something that can go to be with God? Maybe that's what these demons are. These are the souls of the Nephilim and that's why they want to go into human bodies because that's what they're used to being in. They want to be in a human body or something that's living. Just some more food for thought there. (laughs)
1: We go down another rabbit hole. I (laughs) know.
0: (laughs) Get back out of that hole. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us for this uh, third bonus cast. We
1: uh, hope you enjoyed it. We might have pissed some people off, but hopefully we gave you a little something to think about. And remember, we always try to practice the spirit of mutual concession. So if we made you mad... You know, we can agree to disagree, and we're and that's certainly okay. not
0: forcing anyone to believe the oh, way that we do. No, not absolutely not. You're we're more just than welcome to. We're believe just having fun asking to.
1: those questions because we we like to ask the questions and to figure things out. Like that's why we do the whole show and go on the ghost tours. It's like, what are they? What do you think they are? What what is this? What could this be? And mm. so it's just, you know, we don't have the answers yet, and that's why we keep searching. And while we're doing it, we tell you all about the experiences we find and are having. So. I have been your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye.